Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good to be together. That washing over that's not simply something we did one time when we got baptized. That's a, that's a living reality all the time. Every day we, we live in the washing experience of loving the Lord and letting him come over us over and over. We continue to need his mercy and grace. I hope that's true and what you, that living reality in your own life as well. You know, we, we tend to remember lasts like... Um, the last conversation we had with somebody, like a parent, uh, before they died, or the last time we, we walked out of our employment place before going to a new job, or the, the last time, the last day we spent in high school, the last, the last time we walked through the house before moving to a new location, or the, the last time that we, we realized our kid was under our care, and then we ship them off to their university or job or whatever it is. Lasts are significant to us. That's true today in our text because we come to the last words of the Bible, which are also the last words of John, Jesus' closest friend. They're the last words of Revelation, of course. And they're the last words of the Spirit. And above all, they're the last words of Jesus. And therefore, because they're his last words uh, that have been preserved for us, we want to pay close attention to them. And we want to cherish these words because they are filled with depth and insight and help and understanding about life and challenge. There is so much richness to them. So we're going to start with verse 8 of chapter 22, Revelation. Now, we're closing this seven-week series up on the blesseds of Revelation, but we're going to do another Revelation series yet. We've had two series in Revelation. Next week, we'll start our final walk through Revelation as we prepare for Christmas and looking at the first coming of Jesus compared with the second coming of Jesus. Verse 8, I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things, and when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of the scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they've done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus... I've sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. 
I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of the scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God, be with God's people. Amen. There are no greater last words than these, and we do well to be attentive, to take them to heart, and to live under the canopy of this one who has loved us with this everlasting eternal love and is not desires that any person that perish will perish, but everybody will come to repentance. He wants every person you ever see to be with him. He is dogged about getting people to himself, even you today. First of all, we have the last command. There is this angel that appears before John, and he is struck by being in the presence of the angel, as many are throughout the pages of Scripture preserved for us. But the angels, John gets down on his knees. John, the angel says, get up, worship God. It is so easy to worship the things about God, the things of God, the things associated with God, instead of God himself. We don't worship even an idea about God. We don't worship worship. It's easy to do that. We go after the experience of worship than after God himself. And we have to be sure we're responsible to worship God when we come together, not be dependent on all the extras that come with a worship experience, but make sure he is the centerpiece every time we come together. That's our responsibility. Don't worship a preacher. Don't worship a church. Don't worship an idea. Don't worship, don't worship any other created thing. Worship God. A Christian artist will let you down. I will let you down. Luke will let you down. Worse than me. Uh, a, a, a church will, wear you, will, will, will disappoint you. That will always be true because we're all broken, fallen, wounded, scarred people. And so we have limitations. Christ will never let you down. And that's why we worship him and we worship him alone. We have the last principle, verse 11. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Now, some will and some won't. Some will obey the gospel and come to him. Some won't. No, no matter how, how hard you pray and try to reach some people, they simply will not. The, the Bible makes it clear some people love darkness more than the light. Jesus made it clear that most people will follow the way of destruction will always be in the minority. So when you get discouraged about the world, remember when, when the recipients are getting revelation, they are discouraged. They wonder if this is worth it. They look around them. They see the evil that's happening. They sense the evil that's coming on them. They've seen the persecution that's coming. They're wondering. And John is saying, look, there are lots of evil people. There are more evil people in the world than are those who are gonna follow the light of Jesus Christ. So you keep doing what you're doing. The world's going to go to waste. You're going to continue to see that. That's still true today. We get discouraged by politics. We get discouraged by society, by cultures, move, cultures movements. We get discouraged about uh, decisions that are made uh, for us that we don't agree with. There are a lot of things we get discouraged by. We do not live in that realm. We're not, we don't pull the shade down. We don't ignore it. It's happening, but we shouldn't be surprised. That's what John is saying. Let those who reject Christ, let them go on. It's going to happen. That doesn't mean 
stop loving them. It doesn't mean stop caring for them. It doesn't mean stop trying to reach to them. It doesn't mean stop praying for them. But just expect that. You make sure you stay as my holy people. You stay devoted to me and don't turn back from being sold out about uh, concerning who I am. Third, we have the last identification. Verse 12, behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the alpha and omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Verse 16, I have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Now, we know from our studies in scripture that whenever we have I am, that is a statement of deity when Jesus is is saying it because it's rooted in that call of Moses when Moses was scared to go stand before Pharaoh uh, to announce that he was, he, was, he was going to free the Hebrew people from slavery. Pharaoh didn't like that. And, and remember, Pharaoh, uh, Moses asked God, well, who am I going to say sent me? And God says, tell them Yahweh, that is, I am sending you, the ever-present one, the constantly present one, the one who is self-existent, the one who has no beginning and no end. That's, that's what I am means. He, in other words, he always is. God is not past. He's not future. He's only now Now he's always been, I am. So whenever Jesus made an I am statement, the Pharisees, the leaders, they knew exactly what he was claiming. That's what got him into trouble. And those people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. He absolutely did. Every time, that's why he got in trouble with the Pharisees. I am the good shepherd. You know, I am the door. I am the light of the world. All those I am statements are about his identity. So here we have the last three. Um, first, he says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the Greek first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, like saying, I am A to Z. I don't know how they know this. The Oxford Dictionary claims there are 171,446 words, English words in the English language. Now, who, who counts those? And who's smart enough to know all those words? I don't get that. Their words are always being coined. There are new words coming all the time. But whatever English word there will ever be, They will only contain the letters A through Z. There are no new letters being invented. And so Jesus is saying, look, everything that is, is because through my name, they came into existence. That's what John tells us in the first chapter of his gospel, his biography of Jesus. There's nothing has been created without Jesus' name on it. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, the Bible says. He's the Alpha and Omega. Uh, He is also, he says, I am the root and the offspring of David. He's saying, I am both the ancestor and the, um, and the descendant of David. He's saying, it's like me saying, I am, my da- I am my dad's father and his son, both at the same time. That's ridiculous, unless you're Jesus, because he's eternal. He's claiming deity. He's claiming equality with God. One time he got in trouble with the Pharisees because uh, the Pharisees said, Abraham's our father. And, and Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Oh, that really rallied them, got them all caught up in arms. Now, this is where you gotta be careful with cults because they twist things a little bit. A cult, by the way, is any religious group that claims a book other than the Bible or has a distorted view of Jesus. That's what constitutes a cult. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things that look cultic and aren't, uh, they're, they're just misinformed people who are living cult-like. Um, but there are a lot of, lot of people who have distorted views of Jesus. That is a cult way of thinking. And so if you're reading the New World 
a translation, for instance, belongs to Jehovah Witnesses. They translate where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. They say, if you read their translation, before Abraham was, I have been. Because you see, the Jehovah Witnesses teach that Jesus is a created being. He's not equal with God, but he's the highest of all those he created. Well, that's not what, that, that's not what Jesus said. He said before Abraham was, I am which claims equality with God when he says that. So they twist it a little bit. And that's not what the original, the original Greek doesn't say, I have been. Because, you see, if you're suddenly reading that, well, yeah, I agree with that. No, you don't agree with that. Because I have been does not say the same thing as I am. And so be careful of those little twists of things. So before Abraham was, I, I am... Also, he says, I am a descendant of David. So go back to Matthew and Luke, trace the genealogy of Jesus. It goes right back to David. I was before David, I am before David, and I am now as, as part of the lineage of David. That's what Jesus is saying. The third I am he has here is I am the bright and morning star. It's a great time of the morning when we get up. Maybe you went out early last week to see the eclipse of the moon. I saw just the tail end of it. But, you know, it just, it's just that time of the morning. I mean, twilight's my least favorite part of the day. It's kind of a depressing part of the day, I think. But the morning, when it has that atmosphere, and it's not dawn yet, but the sky's getting a little lighter, and it's not quite dark, and you look at the heavens, and, and you watch the stars sort of fade. And usually there's one that holds on to the very end, you know? And that's usually, I mean, that's Venus typically, the brightest of the planets that you see uh, before, the, before dawn. Jesus is saying, look, when, when everything else fades, I am the true light. I am the one stands. I am the bright and morning star. I am the one that never fades. When everything you've trusted in, when everything you thought was gonna give you life, when everything you thought was worth living for, when, when, all your, when, you, get, when you lose your job, you lose your finances, uh, your, your, your spouse walks out, when you have to go through death, the valley of the shadow of death, we have to go through hell. When all that really does it, wreaks havoc on your life, I'm the one who remains as your bright and morning star. Never forget that. He, he stands the same yesterday, today, forever, never disappointing you. And then we have the last blessing. Now we've had seven, so let's review them. So let's read them out loud with me. Number one, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Number two, then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Number three, look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so not, not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Number four, then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Number five, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Number six, look, I'm coming soon. 
Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. And today's, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. This last blessing is so very rich as we consider it. No one enters the new Jerusalem, heaven itself, without having been washed. We sang about that at the very beginning of our worship today, that we celebrate today that we are washed. If we have submitted to Jesus Christ, been baptized into him, resurrected to a brand new life, no one enters heaven without having their robes washed. Now, if we were reading Revelation literally, um, heaven's dimensions would be cubic, 1,200 miles straight up from the earth, 1,200 feet at its, or 1,200 miles at its base, which was here from like to beyond Las Vegas a bit, in every direction, in other words, a cubic, a massive, a massive uh, territory, room for everybody. That's what it's communicating. If we were looking at Revelation literally, that the walls of the city have these different gemstones that layered. Each gate of the 12 gates is a single pearl. Um, there's this tree of life that grows on both sides of the river that bears fruit all the time. Is that literal? Is that are these literal gems we're going to see? They just represent them. I don't know. We can talk about it when we get there, and it'll be a wonderful place. All we know is it's governed by the presence of the Lord in that place. Now, this is so important to understand this, friends, that this washing, because to be washed, I mean, uh, how silly it would be for us to do our gardening work or to go run a, run a, run a 5K and then we, we come home and put our clothes on, you know, without washing or bathing. We don't do that. It's a ludicrous thought. It just doesn't fit. And so here we are. We've sinned against a holy God. And there's so many people who believe if I just do the right number of things, it'll all be okay. It'll cover the dirt. It never does. They, 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 if you do that, that there's all... I, I truly believe in the core of cores, if pe- core of our being, if people would admit it, they know that deep inside, not all is well inside. Amen. That our hearts are not right, that there's, there's something desperately wrong within us. In, in, in being faithful to our own morals and being the person I need to be. We all know deep within, we are wounded people. We're scarred people. We're not as good as we appear to be. And so what does the world do? We put on these good acts to do to cover the ugliness. That's what Adam and Eve did when they first realized they were naked before God. What did they do? They covered themselves with self-made, sewn-together fig leaves. And man has been trying to do that ever since. And the Bible teaches us over and over that will not do well. You remember when the Apostle Paul was writing in Philippians 3, that passage where he says, look, if anybody's anybody worthy of the Lord, it would be me if it's on externals. I'm a Jew of Jews. I'm not just, I'm not just 
a Jew living in Greek culture and adopting Greek culture. I mean, I live the Jewish life. I follow all the regulations. I follow Moses' law and all the traditions of my elders. I am zealous for God. I have a great Jewish pedigree. I've been a Pharisee of Pharisees. There's nobody been better than me. Then he goes on to say, I count all of that garbage, rubbish. And that Greek word for rubbish there or garbage in NIV is human excrement. So you can put any crass word you want there, but that's what Paul is saying. That's how I consider all this that I thought was so good about my life that I could get my, I could get God on my side. Nothing to do. He says, he said, no, I want, I needed a righteousness, not my own. And so when we are baptized into Christ, we are clothed with Christ. We are clothed with his righteousness. Several weeks ago, I told there's two kinds of righteousness. There's the positional righteousness and practical righteousness. The positional righteousness is when we're cleansed by God and our position before God changes. I was, I was covered by his wrath outside of him. I was born again, and now I'm in Christ. My position, I was unrighteous. Now I've been declared righteous, even though... I know I don't live all that righteously. But because I have new clothing on, I'm going to, I want to do acts of righteousness that are pleasing to God that show how valuable these, this new set of clothes is. That's the righteousness the writer's talking about because he's talking about reward. That, that, that when we stand before God, there need to be acts of righteousness that we have done in the name of the Lord, for the name of the Lord, for his glory, rightly motivated, that, that, that demonstrate the greatness of God. That's why we do good works, to declare his goodness and to, be, and to demonstrate what Jesus looks like by the lives that we live. And then we have the last invitation. He says, outsider dogs. Now, don't be offended, dog owners. Not that he doesn't like little Fido, but that's not the dogs he's talking about. Dog, the, you know, the, the, the New Testament, much of the world, they don't know anything about lap dogs and domesticated dogs. You know, here it's talking about mongrels. That's, that's what the first century knew. Dogs, as they, weren't, they were mongrels. They were scavengers, street scavengers. And so he calls those evildoers and and those who practice the occult or dabble in that, any kind of occult, is ungodly and worldly. Don't read your horoscope if you do that. You know, don't, don't, don't let your kids play with Ouija boards. You know, don't, 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 get, don't, don't go to a psychic. You know, I, I've known believers to do that. Nothing could be more of an affront to God, uh, sexually immoral. So much comes under that canopy. Don't do those things, he says. The spirit and bride say, come, let him who hears come. The verse says, whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Come seems to be one of God's favorite words. In the very beginning, God told Adam and Eve to leave the garden. And ever since... He's been saying, come to me. And so when he was developing a people for his own possession, the Hebrew people, he, he, he called Moses and he said, come up to the mountain and meet with me. And so Moses did because God wanted a people, a peculiar people, an unusual people, a people that would stand out from all the other nations of the world, just like he did when he called us out of the darkness into the, the light of his love, that we would be a different kind of people 
than the people around us, not better than anybody else, just different, living under the reign of, of our God and our Savior. Jesus said, come, follow me, and I'll make you, I'll make you fishers of people for my kingdom. Come, he said, if a man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In the storm, in the midst of that storm, uh, Jesus called Peter to himself saying, come. Jesus said, uh, let the little children come to me. Uh, he taught in the parable, come to me, you who are blessed by my father. This last invitation, let him who is thirsty come and drink. And whoever wishes, let him come, take the free gift of the water of life. If today you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, his invitation is being resounded over and over in many ways, not just in this service, but many ways, just by, by what you're going to carry with you and what's going to haunt you. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, come, he says. He does not want anyone to perish, but everyone come to repent. He doesn't want anybody to miss him. Now, now it violates everything else, again, about how we live. We think we, if we're good enough, we deserve. No, it's a, eternal life isn't... Those aren't our wages. We don't earn wages you earn. This is a free gift of salvation. It's what, make, it's what makes reaching people for Christ so difficult but we, because we are these independent people and don't like to be told what to do. Give it up. Give it up. And some of you are exposed to the gospel all the time and are still thinking about it. And the only thing you must be wrestling with is, I don't know if I want to give up control. I'm willing to risk control and hope for the best after, after this life. Well, good luck on that one. And, and, and it's not going to happen. You, can, you, can, you know, the, the, the nicest person in the world, the most giving person in the world, the most sacrificial person where without Jesus is still going to hell because there's only one way to the Father. And that's through the Son who gave his life for us. Please know that. I don't say that out of, I don't scold. I don't, I just urgently plead with you to be born again. The only thing we have to give to him is a repentant heart. A repent, yet you have to have everything worked out. You don't have to have everything worked out. It doesn't mean, but so many people have told me in the course of ministry, you know, I just got to get some things in order first. Oh, Really? Now, when will that be ready? When will that make you ready? We can't have everything in order, but we have to come to him confessing that, that we have sinned greatly and we don't want to sin anymore. No matter what we read in this book, we will leave that behind. Whatever you call sin, we will leave it behind. No matter what, it, what it, and how, how difficult it is to obey that command, I will learn to do that, even if it takes my whole life long, which the rest of us, we know what that is, right? We know as we're still trying to learn to obey him to the nth degree. Then we have the last promise, literally the last word, I am coming soon. It's three times in this chapter, in verses 7 and 12 and verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. The first and worst promise of the Bible is you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And that's what got them into trouble. That's what got all of us into trouble. And the last promise of the Bible is the best news. I am coming soon. I'm co Three times, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. 
No, I, I remember this old country preacher, he was preaching that, and he was getting revved up by this time in Revelation. And he'd go forward and, I'm coming soon. Jesus, I'm coming soon. Jesus, I'm coming soon. With that, he tumbled off the stage into the lap of the woman on the front row. And he apologized profusely. He said, don't worry, no apologies. You, you warned me three times. Look, Jesus is warning us. This is a promise to us, but it's also a warning to a world that's not ready. 318 times in the New Testament alone, there's a reference to the return of Jesus. It's a warning over and over. And God says, look, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm coming. I'm coming. Be ready for my coming. Stay awake, one of the blessed. Stay awake until you can be prepared for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Have the right clothing on necessary to sit at that table, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And John ends, the grace, uh, 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 still the promise, that I'm coming soon. So, so we, we, we take this so seriously, and there's no reason to any of us to be surprised when he comes. I mean, it ought to be if he, if he chooses this hour. Man, we are so, we are so, we are so celebrating that, that, that the pain is done and we get to be welcomed home. And then the last prayer of the Bible, amen, come Lord Jesus. John ends the book, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. And those two prayers are related because if you're, if you're trusting Jesus Christ, we, like, we, can, we can pray, Lord, come quickly. The only thing that gives me pause to say that is because I know the people I'm still praying for and I want them to be ready. That, that, and that's, that really seems to be the only reason Christ hasn't come back yet. He is long-suffering, and he wants, he wants a greater census in heaven than there would now be if he comes. Can you say that today? Can you say with full confidence today, Lord, come quickly, even today. I am so ready for you today. Can you say that? You know, college students want him to come right, right back right before finals. You know? And all of us right before tax day, you know. I wanted to come back often on a Sunday morning before a lousy sermon was preached. Come quickly. Um, a devoted follower of Jesus so looks forward to his coming. Ted Kidd was so in love with Janet. You know, they met, they were five years apart. It made it difficult because he graduated from college before she even entered college. And he wanted her. He wanted to marry her. So every year on Valentine's Day, he proposed, and she'd say, it's just not a good time. And he was just so disappointed every year. Finally, after years, he, he moved to another city, got established in a job. Uh, he still wrote. They still called, and they were going to be together for another Valentine's Day. The years had gone on, and finally, he knew this was going to be his last, his last, will you marry me? So he, he, he was so nervous Got, a design, got the last rest, I mean, the restaurant, a very romantic evening set. They had the salad and the entree and the dessert. And he was about to propose and getting, bracing himself for another rejection. She, he noticed that she brought a gift for him. And so he paused and said, well, you got something for me, it looks like. And she said, yeah, and it was flat and it looked like a picture. And he thought it was going to be a picture for his office or something. And he said, she said, yes, yeah, for you. And he opens it, pulled the tissue back, and she had cross-stitched the word yes. Get you done, you romantics, <laughs> you know. Our God, our God just wants that one word spoken. And time after time after time, 
will you? Will you? And he's so longing for every person to, yes, I want to be yours. And so if you are not his yet today, please contact Luke or me, somebody else, a good friend who walks with Christ, and let them help you know what this life looks like and what it means. For the rest of us, we are God's mouthpiece. We are his instruments of grace and truth and love and gentleness and kindness to walk with people and love them with, an, with, a, with a, a deep and abiding love, to give them every opportunity to know this one who is King of kings and Lord of lords and the hope of our lives. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we so thank you and praise you for this great salvation. How, how, how can we adequately tell you thank you for something such as this? I pray, Father, that our kids are in the children's center right now, I pray that they will grow up. I pray they'll grow up loving Jesus and seeing the church as a happy place to be among these people. I pray that you help them make good, God-honoring decisions as they grow up and are challenged by the world. I pray for parents in here that they will live before these growing kids solid examples of what it means to love Jesus with heart, soul, mind, and strength. I pray, Father, that because we worship you and you alone, I pray that we will learn to love our neighbors just like we love ourselves, that we will learn to lay our lives down for the cause of Christ, that there will have no other God before us. I pray today, Father, we can celebrate what it means to be washed and to know the confidence that that brings to us. I pray today, Father, we'll live in such a way that even, even now we can say in full confidence, Father, Lord, Jesus, come quickly. I long for the day of redemption. May that be true, Father. May Jesus Christ be praised. To his glory, we pray, we worship. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love and our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.